welcome to the Pitbull Patty Show. I'm your host, Patty Stuckler. We're keeping it real here with straight talk and sharing true stories that will inspire you to change your life. Are you ready for this? Because here we go. Every 67 seconds, someone in the United States develops Alzheimer's. Are you financially prepared if your spouse or an elderly parent needs care? In this episode, you'll get financial advice on how to best prepare or handle existing problems with taking care of loved ones. My guest today is a financial planner, a speaker, and an author. She's written two books on financial planning, had a radio show for many years, and hosted a TV show called Money Makeover. It's my privilege to introduce Penelope Sugros. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Patty. It's wonderful (laughs) to be in your energetic orbit. I think you're a phenomenon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Penelope. I really appreciate that. I'm really excited to talk to you today because um, this topic seems to be such a timely thing right now. It seems uh, I've got a couple of friends that are also realtors and they have mothers that live with them that are elderly and that they're having to care for, uh, you know, with either dementia or some type of um, Alzheimer's. So, is this something that you find is an increasingly common problem that you find that people come to you for financial advice? Yes, they are asking more about it than they did before. And the statistic that you just read about every 67 seconds somebody being diagnosed is a real statistic. We don't know at what point medicines will be available to help stem that. We don't know if really the activities of doing crossword puzzles and dancing and learning a foreign language, all of which have been given as ways to help keep your brain healthy. We don't know if that will fend off Alzheimer's. So what I try to tell people is this is a unique situation where it's really your whole financial planning needs to take into account. Fidelity did a study that said for a 65-year-old couple, they should be prepared to pay something in the order of $220,000 for their health care in their lifetimes. That's a big number. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So the, the problem with that number is it doesn't include long-term care. So they weren't figuring in the no, another 97000 which is a rough average of what long-term care costs per year in a nursing home for a private room. Wow. 97000 Wow. On top of 220 for our lifetime. Whoa, where's that money coming from? For the average middle class person, it's a stretch. What do you do? It's- yeah, that's, I mean, that's two years in a nursing home, that $220,000 uh, that they were calculating over the life of your, you know, of, of what you would need medic- for medical. So um, are there sources of, of where you can find information of the cost per state? Uh, information like that? Because is it, yep. does it vary per state? Yes, it does. There's there's a big extreme. The figure of 97,455 roughly is the national uh, median for the United States. But we have states like Massachusetts that are expensive. So you'd be looking at maybe 150,000. Wow. In states in the south, you might be down to 70 or 80,000. The Genworth cost survey is done every year. Genworth is G-E-N 
W-O-R-T-H, Genworth Cost of Care Survey, is very helpful because it does show you in your state what the average is, shows you the national, shows you even if you hone in on what your particular city is, it won't give every city, but you'll get a general feel for that part of your state. So it's very, very helpful to get a reality contact. And of course, you can walk into a nursing home and talk to someone and ask them what the costs are. But the important thing for people to understand is that when we're looking at such a big bill for a, a private room in a nursing home, and a, a semi-private is not much less expensive. So when we think about that, where's it going to come from? If you have two people in the family, one person needs care and the other person is at home, don't you have to manage the person at home too? You mm -hmm. can't put all the money just for the person in the nursing home. Mm -hmm. So it really is a financial planning strategy to think about. Yeah, <clears throat> I have a, um, a sister that has a lot of medical needs and serious uh -huh. medical uh uh, care and it's so expensive not just and she's she's not in a, in a nursing home but she just the medications uh prescriptions are so expensive so even if you're not talking about somebody in a nursing home if you're talking about somebody who needs nursing care needs uh very expensive prescriptions you know just financially planning for that so um yeah. walk us through like if someone before they get to the even that state where you know where they need a lot of care, if if you're just planning in the future, what what types of tips do you give when people come to you for financial planning and advice before that ever even happens? One of the things that they don't account for enough is the cost of medical care over their lifetimes. So they put down maybe if I ask them to do a cost analysis of what they're spending now, they'll tell me, oh yeah, this is how much the mortgage is, this is the oil. And when I ask them, oh, tell me about the co-pays, tell me about the deductibles, tell me about the medicine costs, what are they now? If you have a condition, what might it be if we say that the cost of those things goes up maybe by 5%, whereas regular inflation, CPIU inflation is less than 2 And we look at medical going up 5 6%. Now, factor that in and tell me what it looks like at 65 and 75 for you. Now... How are we going to budget? How are we going to put a little money aside so that you have something in reserve for those things? If you don't need them, that's wonderful. But if you do, then of course you've got some kind of cushion. The Fidelity folks did a study that said for a 65-year-old couple, it would cost them in their retirement 220000 to fund medical costs. And that's without the 97000 a year that we talked about long-term care. Wow. It's yeah, that's huge. I know one of your two books that you wrote is on this type of uh, care. What, what's, right. the, what's that book called? Long-Term Care Insurance, How to Make Decisions That Are Right for You. And that came out of the fact that my mom was 13 years in a nursing home declining with dementia. So I thought, well, we were three college-educated bright kids, right? And we didn't get what was happening. We talked to mom on the phone. And my brother said, you know, there's something odd. Mom asked me the same question on the phone several times. I said, Joe, she's, come on. She's always cooking. She was always doing something else. <laughs> so she was distracted. And then we realized the stories we were telling each other weren't true. That she was declining pretty fast and we didn't understand it. So one is you need to get the point that someone is declining. We were 
bright, but not bright enough to get that. So the family then can decide, and certainly had we been smart, we would have done it way earlier. But if you have a parent in the 60s and the parent can't really afford, say, a long-term care and policy, how about all of you get together and chip in to pay the premium? Wouldn't that be better than one of you having to have that person at home while you're working or raising your own family? So it's a family story, and I keep trying to get people to see it as a family story, not one person. Because often what happens, as you know, is that the single daughter becomes the automatic caretaker. Now, who voted that? Yeah, so that, <laughs> yeah, no, that's not fair at all. <laughs> what, what, she, yeah. how did that happen? I mean, what, so that's statistically kind of who ends up doing the care if mom or dad needs to stay at home. Yeah, yeah the studies have told us it's the 40 year old single woman who is working full time and takes on the care of the elder at roughly like a half time position. So it's another 20, 30 hours the person is putting in to care for that person. So you get voted in because, well, you don't have kids. You can do it. Excuse me? Wow. You know, (laughs) I'd never thought about that before. But um, on my husband's side, he has a cousin who cares for her mother. And her mother is now, well, she turned 80, I think, a couple years ago. And she's been bedridden for a very long time, many years now. And... um, you know, and his cousin, my husband's cousin, is in, she's a single lady in her 40s now and been doing this care for many years. So, uh, yeah. wow, I, I never thought about that before, that that's who gets, you know, really delegated to do all the heavy right. lifting. That's true. And often it is heavy lifting, exactly, because typically those women who take care of even their husbands at home, one story was, well, I weigh 118 and he weighs 250 and I was having trouble turning him in bed and changing the sheets. Well, of course you were. You're a little lady. (laughs) No matter how strong you are, 250 pound person in a bed that you're trying to move who's got problems. Whoa. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and the personal care and all of that, you know, um, because uh, normally they're in adult diapers and so forth. So it's a, it's such a, people don't necessarily like to talk about this. I'm assuming I don't hear people talk about this side of it too much, uh, but it is the reality that, and if you're talking about the statistics showing that 70%, um, you know, of our country or our population going forward into the future may need some, um, many years or whatever, sometime right. in, um, in a, with assisted living, it's a reality that hits home quick. Yeah. Wow. Right. So that's why it's important for people to look at it early enough on. If you're in your 50s, you should be reading up on long-term care and make a decision. Uh, the value of the book that I wrote is simply that the first half says, do you need this stuff? Does your life fit what this need is? And if you say yes, then you read the second half. It's only about 100 pages, and it teaches you about the contract. Now, there are other ways to do it because some people say, well, I don't want to buy long-term care. What if I never need it? You buy house insurance, don't you? Don't you do that, and you hope you never need it because the house (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, This is just a very, very emotional place for people to think about long-term care because it means that we're not able. Mm-hmm. that something has gone really bad for our bodies. So we don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But the issue is, if we talk about it early enough, we can put things in place that would make it easier 
to take care of us or take care of somebody else. So there's long-term care standalone product. There's long-term care with life insurance. So if you really have a a need or desire to pass money on to the next generation. That's another way to do it. It's not wasted. In other words, the life insurance would pay. And there's an annuity with life, uh, with long-term care. So there are options. The important thing, and thank you for giving us an opportunity to talk to people about it, is that in your 50s, look around. Think about yourself. Think about your older relatives and say, yeah, we can do something to cushion this because you can't really keep someone at home. Think about this. You're sleeping. That person has lost time sense, gets up in the middle of the night, puts on the stove to make a cup of tea. What do you think happens next? Does that person understand that there's no water in the kettle? Do you wind up with a fire? Do you wake up to hearing the fire alarm go off? Mm -hmm. It's hard. Yeah, and, and and that's if if you're uh, if you have somebody who's still walking, that's bad enough. And then you, when you have people who are bedridden, then you have somebody literally changing bedpans around the clock uh, for their loved one, and that's that's a reality for a lot of people. So yeah. I mean, so would you recommend if if you're in your fifties, even buying a policy for yourself because it's cheaper? Uh, and, and not just even talking about maybe, you know, your, your loved ones that are older, but are still healthy and, and, right. you know, everybody chipping in and buying, um, you know, a shared cost of that premium, but even yeah. for yourself. Yeah. If you're in your fifties, you can probably get a very fine design of a product for a thousand a year. It, it's not huge when you consider 87,000 is what 97,000 is what you're protecting against mm -hmm. to be paying a thousand dollar year premium. Would that matter to you that much? I don't think so. No, but as, a, and then as that person gets older, won't the premiums rise or they just won't rise that much? Is no, they can be designed so they don't rise depending on the company that you go with. The, the difficulty is this concept of long-term care insurance is new. It started in the 50s, 1950s. We've had marine insurance since the time of Phoenicia. We've had life insurance since the time of ancient Rome. So we've had statistics for years and years and years about how those products work. But long-term care came in in the 50s. And think about it. What are the medical changes that have happened in devices, in medicines, in healthcare since the 50s? It is dynamic. So the poor actuaries who are trying to figure out how to price this stuff, <laughs> they got gray real fast. <laughs> yeah, because all of a sudden everybody's living really long. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So uh, the fact that you buy the, the policy and then there are rate increases by class, not on you individually, but on by class is because they have to keep adjusting the price because they see how many claims they have to pay out. And for them to pay out your claim when you're 80 or 85, they've got to do that. So people grouse about the fact that the premium can go up in a group fashion, but that's why. Mm -hmm. Understand the context and understand even if that premium goes up, as long as you can afford it, you're still looking at that giving you a cushion against maybe $100,000 a year of care. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I noticed that uh, in selling real estate that a lot of times I'll see more and more of a trend of people putting their property, uh, deeding it into a trust as opposed to, you know, uh, the, the, you know, Mary and John, uh, so-and-so. Um, is that something that people do uh, in trying to um, hedge off some of this um, expense? Do you know? Yes. Yes, it's, it's a legal thing to have that. And the reason people do it is one is estate planning, which you'd be familiar with that it helps them defray the taxes for estate planning. And right now, that's very few people are really affected by that. So that's not the main thing. The second thing is they think, if I put this money in a trust, then I can go on to Medicaid and then I will have my long-term care taken care of by the government. I don't think that's a good idea. Now, it's going to sound a little preachy and a little moralistic, but when mom needed a nursing home, mom and dad always felt they would pay their bills. They were honorable, good people. So we sold the house, we spent everything down that she had. It was 13 years, and finally, towards the end of that, she was on Medicaid. Now, Medicaid is for people who have $2,000 or less. So if you're middle class and you're trying to hold on to 50000 100000 a million dollars to pass on to your kids, I understand the feeling, but is that right if you're taking that Medicaid bed away? from somebody who really has nothing and you're trying to cushion and save 600 or more for your family. Mm-hmm. Is that a right way to go? I know it's not popular to talk about moral compass issues and maybe that sounds, um, sounds wrong that I'm saying it, but think about it. If we have the need that you mentioned before, that maybe 70% of our population is going to need some sort of long-term care, and you can pay for yours, mm-hmm. why would you take that money away from somebody who can't? Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you. And in fact, with your mom, uh, it sounds like if, if it provide, if her savings, her, uh, you know, it, that provided for 13 years worth of care, to pay for herself, then she did pretty darn good. It sounds like the only the last couple of years that you yeah. know she had to go on to to Medicaid where she had spent it all. And sometimes right. I'll sell. I sold a property not too long ago that the the son and the daughter, or the son and the daughter in law, were selling the property for the mom that was in a nursing home in Ohio, and it was to pay for her care. That and it was. I mean, it was not even. There was only about a little, like maybe one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars worth of equity. So that would, sounds like it's only going to pay for a year, basically, uh, at least on the national average of what it would cost. Right. Right. So not, not enough. Right. But they did the right thing. They did something that would Mm -hmm. help her and help the whole system. So we need to be thoughtful, not just for our own families, but us as a family of the United States to say, what do we do as our country to make our country stronger and help people who really don't have resources. Mm -hmm. So uh, people who think that Medicaid is going to take care of it, the answer is, think again, that's not right. If you think Medicare is going to take care of it, think again. It doesn't cover the kind of custodial care that stroke victims and dementia victims need. It covers emergency things. It covers rehabilitation. It covers, I broke my hip. Yes, it helps you with that, but it doesn't do these other things. So Even if you're a family who loves mom and wants to keep her at home, how are you going to do that? What's the tag team going to be able to do 
safely for all of you and make it work. I've known families who have done it, but it is way difficult. They really have to be committed. Yeah, I I always get confused between Medicare and Medicaid. So it sounds like Medicaid is something that if you absolutely have no resources, basically $2,000 or less, and is, is Medicare a supplement type thing that helps with assistance? No, Medicare is what we age into at 65 at the moment, so that it becomes the health insurance contract for those who are retired at 65 and older, if they've paid into the system. So that is sort of the national health insurance for the retirees. And it's a wonderful system. Whether or not it will stay as strong as it is, is a matter of people being clever. We're Americans, we fix things. But sometimes it takes a long time for the (laughs) legislators to catch up with the people and say, okay, this is how we're going to fix it. Mm -hmm. So Medicare is like you would say, whatever your insurance currently is, but that's for retirees. And when they started making the argument, let us create a Medicare for everyone, that could work because it's an incredibly efficient system. Yes, there are people who defraud it. Yeah. Okay. Where there's money, you don't think there's going to be some sort of fraud. (laughs) Unfortunately. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, it goes together. So the answer is, yeah, they can do it. They can make it a solid system for all of us uh, if there's the legislative will to do it. We'll see. Yeah. It's so interesting. And in fact, um, I... My mother is 82. I talk about her a lot because she's um, she's just amazing. And she walks, you know, three days a week. She goes to the senior center. And I took her to the doctors the other day. And, and um, you know, she was like saying, we were talking about this subject, about just kind of, you know, as she gets older, she's slowing down. And I can see uh, the last two years or so, I see a big difference that she's slower and um, not mentally, but just slower physically. And she said, yeah, I really don't want to walk. <laughs> but, but she'll say, I, I just do it anyway. And I, always, and I said something about, you know, that old adage, you know, use it or lose it is so true. And she understands that principle that, you know, she's got to try to eat right and try to get out there and move her body so right. that she can continue to move her body if she doesn't. Yeah. Well, I understand from the story of your mom who you are. <laughs> it, explains, yeah, it explains Patty a little bit to say, okay, that's her mom. Got it. Got it. Uh, mom is doing certainly the right thing. When I was an ombudsman, which is a wonderful program that has people go into nursing homes and check on the residents and they become the voice of the resident. If something's not going right and the resident can't get it resolved in-house, the ombudsman becomes the person who proceeds and says, okay, how do we solve this problem? How do we get this thing right for the person in the nursing home? So the one I was in was absolutely wonderful. I had the privilege of meeting great people. Their minds were sharp, just like your mom. The difference was, unlike your mom, they had stopped exercising, so they were in wheelchairs. Their body strength was gone in their legs. Nobody taught them what young people today are doing, which is exercising and running and doing all these Zumbas and everything else. The <laughs> last one I think I heard was yo- um, goat yoga. I have no idea what you do with goats <laughs> and yoga, but there seems to be a new trend. So the point is that younger folks are understanding what you said either use it or lose it. Your mom understands that. To the extent that we can get all of us eating right and exercising, we can push back 
this uh, loss of ability, which often leads to being in assisted living or a nursing home. Those things can be staved off. Whether or not they'll come up with a cure for Alzheimer's, uh, we don't know. Science does wonderful things. We do have theories about dancing and learning a foreign language and doing crossword puzzles and cryptograms that those are supposed to help keep our minds healthy and stave those things off. We don't know. We don't know. I've, I've long been um, fascinated by blue zones. Are you familiar with the blue zones? Yeah. Well, blue zones are like the parts of the world where you have a very high number of centurions, people who have lived to be a hundred years old, um, right. and and not in uh, you know nursing homes. They're they're healthy physically and mentally. Uh, there yeah. there's one in California. It's a, a high Mormon population that doesn't eat much meat. However, there are other parts of the world where. In fact, there's a number of these blue zones, and you'll have to you'll have to Google that because it's quite fascinating. And other areas where they do eat meat, they just, um, in fact, I think probably most of them do uh, in most of the blue zones. But it's not a huge amount. There, it's in moderation. Uh, most of them, not the Mormons, but most of the other blue zones, they do drink some alcohol in moderation, and it's not just wine. It's, you know, could be any type of alcohol. So, but they move around a lot. They're very active. Uh, and it's just fascinating. And I just saw on, and this was, of course, on Facebook, so I don't even remember the source of where, but it was one of those videos, and it was talking about, it was kind of a TED Talk of somebody that they did um, on what were the contributing factors of life expectancy. And the top two contributing factors were not things that you would typically be thinking about, oh, okay, uh, non-smokers, say, or something like that. The top two um, factors were people who had um, an inner circle of loved ones. They, they had, you know, whether it be a spouse or people they were very close to. They had a group of people that, they, that, were, that cared about them that they cared about. Um, and then the other factor, surprisingly, was people who talked to a lot of people, that engage with a lot of people. So I thought, well, I'm in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> Because I certainly talk to a lot of people. <laughs> but that's, that literally was the number one that's right. factor was people that's who right. talk to the mailman, talk to the hairdresser, talk to the guy who, you know, drops off this or that at your house, whatever. Um, it, it's it, in every facet of your life that you're engaged with other human beings. You're interested in them. And I thought, wow, how, how cool is that? That really, uh, you know, gives you that purpose uh, to engage with others how important that is. And, and I thought about, wow, you know, you do think about some of these people who are unfortunately alone in an apartment somewhere and don't have a lot of interaction with other people for whatever reason. It just happens over time that they they kind of drop out of society a little bit and that they're, they seem to be at high risk for not living a long life. It's yep. just interesting. Yep. The third book that I just sent the second draft to my editor um, on Thursday, so I'm very excited about this, called Home Sweet Home or Not. And it deals exactly with what you're talking about because too many older persons are sitting in front of a television all day hoping somebody will visit. Isolation, we have found, is something that causes disease. It changes the body chemistry, sets us up more for all the negative things that you can imagine, the cancers and other kinds of illnesses. 
and that's loneliness. So loneliness is an epidemic. And one of the reasons I wrote the book is to try to get people to see that though I love my home and I'm sitting here alone all day by my, uh, day in and day out, is that really an answer? Is that house more important than you are? So what we try to do is give them options and say there are many other things you could do other than being in this house that will rejuvenate you, that will give you a reason to move, to be social, to have all the things that would be a better life. So we're, we're making the case for it. We'll see if we can convince any people who are sitting alone at home to make a change. <laughs> well, hopefully. We'll hopefully. Yeah. I, it, yeah. I think the trick is to, to not let things develop or slide into that pattern. You know, to, yep. head, to, to be aware of it when you're younger and, and always be out there doing things and being active, you know. You, you get one shot at this, right? That's how I always look at life. You get one shot. You better, you know, make it, make it good. You know, give it all I, you got. As a realtor, have you seen that situation where somebody is old in a house they can't maintain and yet still doesn't want to move out of it? Oh, Are sure. Are you running into that? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, uh, I'll, I'll see people sometimes that the, the, their children are really behind pushing the parent to downsize, to, to go into um, a 55 and older apartment community type of thing. Um, it, not even people that are uh, suffering any major health issues. It's just that it's too much financially for them to, or too much for them to mow three acres or an acre of property, whatever, right. uh, take right. care of the house. But they put, I notice, um, they put a lot of emphasis on the things in their home, kind of like those, like you see those hoarder shows. They put a lot of emphasis on surrounding themselves with the things. And, and if they've had like a wife or a husband that passed away, it's like they want to hold on to that former life. And they're doing that by staying in the property as long as possible. Instead of realizing right. that that chapter's over and you can take those mementos and those memories too with you and start a new chapter and create new adventures for your life but it's hard for a lot of people yeah that's chapter 11 <laughs> oh good <laughs> well that's great <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right about that there there are ways to come at that but i think part of the reason that the adult child has a problem with the uh, parent is that it's a long conversation and it really is a matter of respecting what you just said about the parent. The parent is anchored in some things that you need to get the person to express that, get it out, and not simply say you're wrong, mom, but simply give them a way to understand that they can do what you just suggested, which is the right and healthy thing, the next chapter there is something new you can do. And what I hear over and over again, I've had a lot of people so far because my clients have aged with me. So uh, yeah, what are you going to say? We're older and they have made the changes. And in every single case, they are better. And they have said, I got my life back because they made the move. Wow. Huge. Once they, and I see this even, even people not in the same situation, but just the difficulty of moving for even people that are, you know, 35 is, is a reality, especially if they've got a couple of kids and it's, it's just, uh, it's pretty traumatic. Moving is right up there with one of the top, you know, three stressors in life, you know, uh -huh. uh, psychologically. So it's very difficult. So, 
but what I always try to say is, you know, you're on the home stretch, no pun intended. You know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're almost there. Don't, you know, and, and sometimes it, my husband and I, because he's a realtor also, will joke about, oh, I had to talk so-and-so off the ledge today because they're literally, they're, it's like they just, they, they can't take it anymore. The stress is so high. So even right. for people that are younger, moving is so traumatic and making that, you know, change and, and doing all that's required to get there. But once you get there and you get to the other side, it's, it's so sweet on the other side. So it's, it's nice that you're writing about that. I'm, I'm really anxious to see that, um, see that. And, you know, the, I, I want you to give, give the title of your first book too, because uh, I know we don't have time to go into that. And maybe another episode, we'll talk about kind of like your secrets to a happy financial retirement, because I know you write about that as well. But what's the title of the first book that you wrote or the other book that you wrote about, you know, planning for a successful retirement? Right. That one is called Wealthy Choices, the Seven competencies of financial success. You don't have to be brilliant. You just need to be competent. And we break out what those seven are. And it they are the stories. It's uh, mini dramas. And when I did the television show, my actors acted out the mini dramas because people came to me and said, this is what I'm up against. This is my story. So those stories of my clients became the book. Wow. And it became a simple way of explaining all the big financial issues without looking at like a textbook. Because most of us learn about financial planning from each other. We talk about it. Mm -hmm. Somebody talked you through how to write a check. You didn't go look it up in a book, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or talked you through a mortgage. <laughs> Obviously, you teach people about mortgages. Mm -hmm. That's how they learn about them. They learn a lot more from you than a textbook or a Google. Mm -hmm. So the book was written to simply say, here are the issues people are up against. Here are how we we can live through them. Here's how we can have solutions for them. So that's wealthy choices. The second one is long-term care. The last one is home sweet home or not. And when, <laughs> I, that's, that's a great title. When is that going to be? Do you know, do you have a, a target date of when it, that will be expected to be out? It'll depend on what the editor says about this draft. Is this draft it? Or, you know, do we have to more Clean tweaking. <laughs> yeah, more tweaking. So I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Okay. Well, that's great. Oh, well, tell us how, uh, and I just want to, just, just in wrapping up, I, I tell us how people can find you and, and buy, the, buy your books. Uh, are they on Amazon or? Yep. I think the Wealthy Choices, there are no more copies. We're going to have to do another edition. The Long-Term Care is both Kindle and um, hardcover on Amazon. And then the new one, in the works, uh, coming along, coming along. And wealthychoices.com is an easy way to find me, and it's got all the contact information, phone numbers, 800 numbers, everything else. Yeah. So, so wealthychoices.com is your website. So people, can they right. buy, buy your books there as well? Um, I don't think we have that link set up. We're not... Um, that savvy with, yet with technology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at, at one point we did, and now we don't. <laughs> so it's a I work in progress. The webmaster, yeah, yeah. So you leave it to Amazon to sell to uh, for people to be able to 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 go buy yeah. your books. Right, yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I, I just want to thank you so much. And I think that the, I'm going to, I have not read uh, either one of your books. I'm going to get those on Amazon. I think the one um, regarding the long-term care uh, is really fascinating for me. And it sounds like you really go into depth as far as the contract, which sounds really interesting. I mean, that's what I deal with every day in real estate is the right. real estate contract. So very important to know all those details. So I'm happy to hear right. that you go into the weeds, it sounds like in your
your yep. book about the contract and what people need to know. So um, thank you so much, Penelope, and um, enjoyed having you and such great information. This wraps up this episode of the Pitbull Patty Show. And be, uh, be aware to create a master plan for your life because if you fail to plan, you know, you plan to fail. You really need to, to map it out. And Penelope's advice should, be, uh, should really be factored in to that plan. So until next time, we'll see ya. Thank you.